You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. <clears throat> I talked about forgiveness last week, and um, we looked at how our actions, our attitudes um, affect our lives and how they actually affect the Lord uh, because we really are in a relationship with God. We are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And we looked at how criticism and unforgiveness restricts the flow of God's grace into our lives. How many of you know that's true? Um, and so what I want to do this week, I want to look at the unique position we have to actually affect God's heart. And here's what I want the conclusion of today's message to be. I want us to all love Jesus as much as he loves us. I want all of us to get free from bitterness and unforgiveness. I want all of us to learn how to use our lack and our loss as our way to appreciate what we do have in him and in each other. Um, because we can be transformed through this relationship with Jesus. We really can. He's, he's real, and to know him, not about him, but to know him is life eternal. Um, I've just been happy lately, and um, I know one reason is I've resolved some conflict I've had in my heart from the past, and... Um, when you do that, those little whatever those things are in your life that eats away at your life force are just, they're dissipated, they're gone. And of course, I don't want to keep talking about this, but um, after my aneurysm experience back in June, um, I just appreciate being alive so much more than I did before which is crazy, I guess, but and nevertheless, it's true. One problem I have, and I don't know that anybody over 50 years old doesn't have this problem too. Sometimes I can't find the right word I'm looking for. How many of you can uh, <laughs> wave at me if you're so afflicted? Matter of fact, I've noticed that if I drink a lot of water, my body doesn't ache as much. How many of you know that? But I have an, in yeah, there you go. I have an inclination against drinking water for some reason. I don't know. And so I was trying to think of the word hydrated. And as close as I could get to it was liquidated. <laughs> there's a difference in being hydrated and being liquidated. Trust me. Anyway, such are the perils of my life. One of the things we need to recognize is that God's heart can be broken or God's heart can be made happy by the things we say and do. And I, I saw this years ago in Ezekiel 6, 9. We actually discovered that God's heart has been broken. Um, his people's adulterous ways have crushed him in a very profound way. Now, um, I'm not going to be real negative this morning, so don't worry about it. This is starting out a little rough, but it gets better. But the prophet Ezekiel said, Then those of you who escape 
people. The Lord said through him, will remember me among the nations where they're carried captive because I was crushed. Somebody's just say crushed, crushed by their adulterous, adulterous heart, which is departed from me. Well, the word crushed also shows up in Isaiah 61 verse 1 where it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor and he has sent me to heal who? Same word, the crushed, brokenhearted crushed, same word. Well, and then to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who were bound. God knows how to heal the brokenhearted because he's been brokenhearted too. Anything we've ever gone through, he's gone through at a level we can't imagine, particularly in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. But God's heart can be touched. Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me. Let me say that again. Doesn't God love everybody? Yes, but this means something beyond just that. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. And the issue in Proverbs 8, 17 is God reciprocates love. If you love him, he's going to love you back. If you show him affection, he's going to show you affection. And James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, and what will he do? Draw near to you. I thought too about 2 Corinthians 9, 7. When it comes to generosity, uh, Paul wrote this. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. And here it goes. For God loves a cheerful giver. Well, God loves a tightwad too. So what would this possibly mean? Well, the Amplified Translation says, that same verse, let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion for God loves, listen, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. And so what we're seeing here in the scripture is the the reciprocal the reciprocating love between God and 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 us. God loves a cheerful giver. And that word cheerful means prompt, willing, hilarious. When's the last time any of us gave hilariously? It's from the Greek word hilaros or hilarious comes from it. And um, hilarious means extremely funny or highly amusing. But the word loves me in that category means this. God has a special affection for a cheerful giver. Now, you know, God loves everybody the same, but God responds to people relationally. Say that. God responds to people relationally. Relationally. You love God, he's going to love you back. You show God affection, he's going to show you affection. Um, 
I want to go to Mark chapter 14 because I'm going to talk about um, some of the women in the Bible named Mary. And we're going to see in a minute that there were five Marys that were in Jesus' close personal circle of friends. Uh, How many of you have five close friends with the same first name? Nobody. So it's strange. And there's a message in it, and we're going to see what that message is here in a minute. But the first Mary I want us to look at, actually we introduce her in John 11, 1 and 2. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Which Mary is this out of the five? It was that Mary, in verse 2, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And John uh, 12, verse 3 tells us more about it. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And so we here have pictures of people and how they expressed their love for Jesus. And so in Mark 14, I think you can see this overhead behind me. Is it there? So I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 and look at what happened because I think it's, uh, it's remarkable. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he, Jesus, sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? Now, something I think is so remarkable here is it wasn't their oil. They had no claim on that oil whatsoever, but they had an attitude about it. They had an opinion, and opinions are like, well, you know, what opinions are like, and they're not worth anything. Matter of fact, I think we ought to all give up our opinions. How many of you are? Yeah. Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For goodness sake. It might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. I'm going to tell you something. Those were bitter apostles in that room. They weren't entitled to that opinion. And they weren't entitled to criticize her for something she was doing to Jesus. Actually, the Barclays translation for they criticized her sharply reads this way. They snarled their reproaches at her. Man, women just get mistreated, don't they? They snarled their reproaches. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Come on, Jesus. Why do you trouble her? 
She has done a good work for me. For you, somebody say you. You, you, you have the poor with you always. And I bet he emphasized you. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. And that's the thing about almost dying. Living becomes much more important. And they had him then. And we don't know. We really don't regard the things we have until either we lose them or we almost lose them. One of the things I know the Lord's been showing me about heartache is the depth of our heartache, if understood and perceived right, is the volume of how much joy a person can ultimately contain. That's worth thinking about. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And then the last verse, assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And I think the gospel hasn't been fully preached if this story hasn't been told. Because at the end of the day, the gospel is about loving Jesus. It really is. It's about loving Jesus. And so when we see in, um, in verse 3, she poured that oil on Jesus' head. And she did it. She was uninvited. I don't think she was even invited to the party. I think she barged in. I think she sort of barged in and took over. You could call that socially awkward worship. Say that with me together. Socially awkward worship. I felt years ago in my more exuberant youth that until you had broken a blood vessel in your eye, you had not sufficiently worshipped God hard enough. Now, I know a lot of people may not adopt that posture, but uh, I, I do. She demonstrated a total abandonment. That alabaster, that alabaster flask that she broke was likely worth one year's wages, and it was most likely Mary's savings account in retirement. And, um, of course, one thing we know is she loved Jesus so much because he raised her brother from the dead. And if her brother had died, the odds were that she would not live a very good life after that because that was part of what happened lots of times to widows. A parallel verse here tells us that the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And one of the things I believe the Lord wants us to do is give us a fragrance. Now, I don't necessarily mean something you can smell necessarily that, but something you give off. How many of you remember Pigpen in um, 
what was the name of that? Yeah, peanuts, pig pen. Everywhere pig pen went, what went with him? This cloud of something. And there are a lot of people that carry around a cloud. You really don't want to be around them that much, right? You know anybody like that? Yeah. But the Lord wants the opposite. He wants us to carry around a different, uh, carry around a different kind of cloud. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. I'm going to tell you, you can tell when people have touched the Lord. You can. And it always not because they're telling you they have. But broken and generous worship spreads a fragrance far and wide. I think about this. Do you remember when um, the Hebrew children were thrown in the fiery furnace? And the king knew he'd been duped, and it was brokenhearted that he did that to him. And so he ran down there that next morning. He didn't sleep all night. He ran down there the next morning and looked in the fire, and he said, wait a minute. Didn't we put three in there? But there are four. There's one walking around in there who looks like the Son of God. You remember that? And when they came out, the Bible tells us they didn't even smell like smoke. Well, see, smelling like smoke is a picture of going through something and smelling more like what you went through than the Lord who carried you through. We don't need to smell like smoke. I remember Wade Taylor told me one time, we went to this church and the guy preached and Wade said, well, the problem with this message was the guy ministered the dealing and not the results of having come through successfully. You, know, you, you may have to think about that a while. Oh, verse 4 says about what she did. Why this waste? When you waste something, it's not used for its best purposes or use too much of it. And practical men think that giving Jesus everything is the same thing as being wasteful. Many think that serving the Lord is wasteful. I came from a family of achievers. Lawyers, oh, you couldn't, you know, if you went to our family reunion and you threw a rock, you're going to hit at least two lawyers and a teacher. And when I got out of college, my parents wanted me to be a dentist and I wasn't going to look in people's mouths the rest of my life. Or they wanted to be a lawyer and I knew I wasn't going to be a good lawyer. And so I became, I went into business and then I became more like a traveling evangelist, which, you know, they don't rank high on the top 10 list of uh, people who have lived good lives in a family that wanted you to make something out of your life. Some thought it was a waste. I actually had an aunt, and she left me out of her will because she thought I was going to give her money away. I was going to waste her money, giving it to missions or something. I don't know, but... Anyway, I'm sorry, but I have a history. But he could have been a doctor. He could have been a lawyer. He could have been a CEO. He just wasted his talents. But you don't waste anything you do for the Lord. You really don't. We see that when Jesus was aware of what was going on, he was normally acutely aware of what was going around him. But it seems like he was so caught up in the moment of Mary's devotion and outpoured love that he was not immediately aware of the disciples' strife. 
and it says they criticized her sharply, or I mentioned this, they snarled their reproaches at her. She should have done something different with her. But Jesus says this, leave her alone. Let's say that together. Leave her alone. She's done a good work for me. Or leave her alone. It's a lovely thing she has done to me. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like the Lord to look at your life and say about you, what a lovely thing they've done for me? How many of you would like that testimony? What a lovely thing. Leave her and, and have Jesus say to those people giving you a hard time about not giving your money to who they thought you should give it to. And Jesus says, leave her alone. Oh, come on, rebuke them, Lord. Anyway, and I think I overdose on this. Whenever you wish, you may do them good. Jesus was saying, go do what you're going to do with your stuff. Leave her alone. She's done what she could. She's done all that she had in her power to do, but she's anointed my body for burial. And the wonderful thing about that idea is immediately after that, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And how many of you remember um, he sweat great drops of blood, it says. Well, how many of you remember that Jesus was trying to convince his apostles to stay awake and pray with him because he was in such agony? What did they do? They fell asleep. So Jesus, even when he was with people, was alone. And he was in agony. Can you imagine Jesus being in agony? He was in agony. So much so that the stress, knowing what was coming, of that um, situation caused, and it's a, it's, um, it's, a, it's a natural thing that can happen to people who are under extreme stress. They can actually sweat blood. But guess what else Jesus was sweating that night? What else was coming out of his pores? The spark, spike nard, the oil that Mary had dumped on his head and wiped his feet with her hair. And I think Mary... Jesus experienced Mary's devotion when there was nobody else around because of what she gave. She anointed, the Bible says, Jesus said, she has anointed my body for burial. And then he goes on to say, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. This gospel, this gospel. Now, here's, here's an amazing thing. The Lord showed me this a number of years ago. There were five people that surrounded Jesus who had the same name, Mary. And I believe there's a real message in that for us. Let me tell you who they were. Of course, there was Mary, Jesus' mother. And think about her. She was considered a delusional Galilean maiden who became pregnant before she was married. 
But she was also a recipient of divine visitation and, of course, the incarnation. But she had an unparalleled heartache. Actually, when Jesus was was eight days old or ten days old when they dedicated children in the Old Testament. Eight days or ten days, but whatever it was, they took Jesus to the temple and a man named Simeon prophesied over Jesus to Mary. And one of the words he said was, a sword shall pierce your soul when it came to what happened to her son. Well, she saw him beaten. She saw him crucified. And the thing that always strikes me about the crucifixion of Jesus was he was naked. He was publicly shamed, but Mary was there. She was also in the upper room. Then there was Mary Magdalene. How many of you remember Mary Magdalene? She was a woman that had seven devils cast out of her. And she was at the tomb after his death because she wanted to treat his body with dignity and respect. And she was victorious in her faith. She never turned back. And then, of course, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mary, the one I've just mentioned, poured out her precious oil on Jesus' head, washed his feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So, such a remarkable picture. Can you imagine doing that? That kind of devotion, that kind of love um, in front of people who were already angry with you for what you did. And then there was the uh, Mary, the wife of Cleopas. She too was at the cross when Jesus died. She could have been Jesus' aunt. And then there was John Mark's mother, Mary, Bar- Barnabas's sister, and her home was an early gathering for believers. And that's the house Peter returned to after the angels got him out of jail, if you remember that story. And so surrounding Jesus, you had all these women named Mary. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, that is, that is too odd to not have some kind of profound meaning to it. And the Lord reminded me of um, a part of the book of Ruth. How many of you read the book of Ruth? You remember the story, Naomi and her husband and her two boys left Bethlehem, Judah, because they ran out of food. And they went to Moab, and the boys married and um, Moabites. And um, both of the sons died, and the father died. And so Naomi went back uh, to Bethlehem. How, how many of you ever struck out for some noble purpose, and it fell completely apart, and you had to go back and face the people that you left with your noble purpose? Yeah. If you've never done that, you've got a great episode in front of you maybe. But um, on her way home, Naomi, whose name means pleasant or beautiful, said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. How many of you ever went through that? I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Beautiful. Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Well, the word Mara means bitter. 
and it's the root word for the name Mary. It's the root word for the name Mary. And so surrounding Jesus are all these people named Bitter. Jesus is being surrounded by so many women named Mary speaks, I think, of the plague of bitterness that exists both in the world and in the modern church. But it speaks also of the ability of Jesus to redeem and transform bitter people. I think that's some of what I've dealt with. I've even wondered if the Lord uh, just kept me alive long enough that I wouldn't go to heaven with bitterness in my heart. You ever think about that? That's a little scary. Your bitterness may actually be preserving your life. <laughs> oh, that's a ridiculous thing to think. But that's insightful. Anyway, it speaks of Jesus' ability to redeem and transform those who were bitter. Each one of these Marys loved Jesus with all their hearts and they were faithful followers. The fact that there were so many Marys surrounding Jesus is a prophetic picture of much of the church, but also of the power of Jesus to heal bitter people. One of the things I see about Naomi, if you want to go back and read the book of Ruth, I'm not going to get into it in any detail. But the thing that happened to Naomi when she became bitter, she actually found Ruth, and Ruth means friend. And Ruth would not leave her. Naomi tried to run Ruth off, and Ruth wouldn't leave. Ruth means friend. And here's the revelation. Even in the midst of your bitterness, you have a friend you can't run off I'm talking about Jesus now. I'm talking about you and the Lord now. You have a friend you can't run off. And that friend is your key to regaining anything that you've lost or anything that you've suffered. Naomi had a faithful friend in her life, even though she was hard to recognize. Her friend was actually hidden in a Gentile form. And you know the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. She found a friend in an unexpected place. And I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, your trouble, your problems, what you've gone through, your pain may actually be an unexpected place to find a friend that will never leave you, never forsake you. Here's another idea. Maybe uh, Elimelech and Naomi should never have gone to Moab. They were not friendly to the Jewish nation. Maybe they were in rebellion when they went to Moab. Maybe in their rebellion they lost everything that they lost. I'm not saying that's absolutely true, but I'm saying this. Even in your rebellion, the goodness of God can find you and be to you everything you need, no matter what you've been through. Even in the place of having made a profound mistake, you've got a friend. How did Naomi get over her bitterness? Here's part of her process. She forgot about herself and was committed to helping Ruth succeed in life. If you remember it, she helped Ruth 
find her husband Boaz. When Naomi helped Ruth become fruitful and successful, successful, she became fruitful. She became successful. Here's the interesting thing. After Ruth married Boaz, she had a son. That was Naomi's grandson. And here's what the message was. When Naomi, I'm sorry, when Ruth had a child, the word went out, there's a son born to Naomi. The impossible became possible in a sense or in a type when she forgot about herself and tried to help those people around her. Her destiny reemerged when she forgot about herself. Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom, and the Bible tells her that Naomi became a nurse to that baby. Wow. Why so many Marys? Jesus is able to deliver from bitterness through the power of his love. How does he do it? Well, he bore your bitterness on the cross. Let me say that again. He bore your bitterness on the cross. How do I know that? Because he wasn't bitter. He became sin for us. Now, that is a spiritual concept that can only be accessed by faith because it doesn't make any sense. He bore your bitterness on the cross. The thing that bothers you is not yours anymore. He took it. It's his. Give it up. Give it to him. He bore your bitterness on the cross. I like to call this the divine exchange, and we find in Isaiah 61.3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. But here's what we've got to understand. To become trees of righteousness, we have to go through times of mourning, times of ashes, uh, times of heaviness, and meet God in those places and by faith receive what it is he wants to give us in exchange. That's how you become mature. Listen, that's how you become a foundational part of what God's doing in the earth. The amount of beauty the Lord will give you is in proportion to your ashes. The amount of oil of joy God would give you is in proportion to the amount you've mourned. I feel like to be strong and resourceful, it's almost necessary to have experienced bitter things in order to truly appreciate the goodness of God in what we have. That's the thing I've recognized since, since my aneurysm. I could not imagine leaving my wife without a husband. I could not imagine leaving my kids without their dad yet or my grandkids. And now I just appreciate being alive so much more. But I didn't until I went through something where I could have lost what I had. And we have got to understand that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to appreciate. He wants to forgive people that have harmed us. He wants us to release them. He wants us to bless them. He wants us to do better than they've ever done before. And that's the evidence that you have actually given up your right to be offended. 
that Jesus actually took your right to be offended on the cross on himself. You don't even have a right to be mad at those people anymore. You can if you want to, but you're going to suffer the consequences. I think to be strong and to be resourceful, it's almost necessary to have experienced bitter things in life in order to truly appreciate the goodness of God and what we have and who we have. That's an aspect of what really makes a person strong. You're not strong if you've never been through anything and you've got a Bible verse and opinion. That's virtually worthless except for the Bible verse. But when you have been through things and you have a just reason, you have suffered and you've come through it and you met the Lord and you got the benefit of what he wants you to have, even though it was painful, you become somebody of value to those around you. My appreciate for living is relative to my almost dying. How close I was to being God. It's made me appreciate people I didn't even like. Things, opportunities, and more. That's an important part of spiritual growth. Who was at the cross when Jesus died? Mary, Mary, and Mary's sister. John nineteen twenty five. Whose name did Jesus first speak after his resurrection? Mary Magdalene was at the tomb the morning Jesus rose from the dead. She was not there because she believed in his resurrection. She was there because she loved him and wanted to honor him even in his death. She was down there to pour uh, spices on his body. She wasn't down there to worship the living Savior. She never, they never believed that. He couldn't get anybody to believe in his resurrection. He couldn't even get them to believe it after he rose from the dead and appeared to them. And we're so much better than those guys, aren't we? What were they thinking? Nah, come on. So Mary is there in the garden weeping. And Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Think about Jesus. Did Jesus know why she was weeping? Yes. Did Jesus know whom she was seeking? Yes. Or why would he act like he didn't? Because she wanted to hear. He wanted to hear her tell him, you are the one I'm looking for. She thought he was the gardener. So she says, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. How could she pick Jesus up and take him away? She was delusional with heartache. But then Jesus said to her, and this was the first person's name he said after the resurrection. He said, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Here's what I'm asking the Lord to do. I'm asking the Lord to do this for all of us. I'm asking him to convict us of any any unforgiveness and help us release people that we've held things against. How many of you want that? 
Come on. It's the key. It's the key. And we have the king of kings to help us. I think again about what Jesus said on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is such a remarkable statement. That's a key to forgiving people. They didn't know what they were doing. Well, it looked like it. Well, side with your reason or side with Jesus, the choice is yours. But if you can really begin to see, you have no idea why people do what they do. You don't even know why you do what you do. That's, that's why you go to a therapist to find out who you are. <laughs> I mean, that's why you talk to, talk to people about your issues. Because you don't even know. If you don't know why you do stuff, why do you think you know why they do stuff? And if that arrogance, pardon my French, if that arrogance is the key to keeping you in unforgiveness, just humble yourself and give it up. Humble, humble yourself and give it up. I don't, I don't know how to close this message. I don't. I don't. I probably should just stop talking. But I, I want, I want 2023 and 2024 to be the year of amazing breakthrough for people where your life gets better. I'm not even saying it changes, but your life gets better. Your inner life, the hidden man of your heart wakes up one morning feeling happy for no good reason. That to me is real joy when we don't even have anything we need to be happy about and we are. How many of you want that? I want that. I've been happy lately and I know one reason is I forgave people. I forgave them. I hope the Lord does really good by them. I hope he blesses them. I hope he looks after them. I hope I hear great reports of how their life has really gone well and done well. Because it's no skin off my nose if other people do well. It's not a zero-sum game. People don't have to do poor for us to do well. Come on. How many of you got a burden you want to give to Jesus this morning? I'm just going to wait until you're uncomfortable. How many of you do? How many of you do? Well, it says, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. How do you draw near? I think you say, Jesus, go off by yourself somewhere. Jesus, I'm drawing near to you. Just do it. Do it. Draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. Love him. He'll love you. Express affection to Jesus. Well, I'm not an affectionist person. Well, start being. Tell, tell Jesus you love him. Tell him you miss him if he'd been distant. Yeah, tell him you miss him. I miss you. How many of you miss Jesus? I miss Jesus. I mean, David's singing this morning about the presence of the Lord. You know, God has uh, anthropomorphic characteristics. Isn't that right? What do you mean? Well, he's like, God is not a man. Jesus is a God. He's a man. But he has human characteristics. Well, we have God characteristics, but we think he, you know. And so he has like human characteristics. If you love him, he'll express his love to you. 
If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you invite him in, he will come at new levels. Just don't give up on him. Don't give up on yourself either. So how many of you have something you want to give to the Lord? Okay, let's do this. Let's pretend by faith whatever that thing is you can pick up with your hand. Pick it up. That thing you need to get rid of. Pick it up. And let's do this. Let's do two things. First thing, let's stick it on the cross. You ready? Because that's where it belongs. And here's the other thing. Let's throw it away. Let's throw it away. Because God loves us. He wants to um, touch us in ways that we will affect the world. He really does. And I want that. I want that for all of us. I want that our secret place with God be so fruitful. People will want to know what, what, who we are. We won't be pig pens carrying a cloud of gloom around, but we'll have a cloud of glory that goes with us wherever we go. I want that. I to, the Lord told me, and this is crazy, but I'm just going to tell you because I don't care. It's too late. The Lord told me that the day was coming when the presence and power of God would touch people to such a point, they would literally glow. And I use the word literally, literally. They would glow. They would light up. I've got a friend named Charlie Wallace, and uh, he met the Lord in a way before I did. And I went to his house to see him, and I want to promise you, when I went to his door, it's like a human light bulb came out of the door. He was lit. He was glowing. And I said, what in the world has happened to you? He said, I gave my heart to Jesus, and he filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I'm not the same. He wasn't the same. He wasn't the same. He was lit. How many want to be lit? I want to be lit. Come here, Dan, would you get me out of this? I want to be lit. I want to be lit up. You're the light of the world, the Bible says. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.